worship leaders, worship musicians, and those who love to worship. A few weeks back, I was guest leading worship somewhere, and a man came up afterwards and asked me, how did you learn to write songs the way that you do? Well, let's talk about it. Welcome to Blueprint Sounds. My name is Nathan Smith. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking about the songwriting process, which is sort of a life process. But before we get there, I want to give you something. If you go to my website, blueprintsounds.com, you can get access to my free training bundle called Worship Booster Pack. There are PDF manuals and workshops on everything from songwriting, how to arrange your band, and even cheat codes for live sound. Again, that's all at my website, blueprintsounds.com, or click on the link nearby, blueprintsounds.com forward slash worship booster pack, all one word. All right, let's talk about the songwriting process. A few weeks ago, I visited another town and led worship. And after the service, a gentleman came up to me and said, hey, I would love to hear about your process because I know that you didn't start writing songs like you're writing and singing for us all in one go. Like what, what happened there that, that got you to the point that you are now? So Paul, this video is for you. As I look back now, I guess all of my life had been leading up to writing songs, even though I didn't know it. When I was a kid, I used to write songs to annoy my two older brothers. But when I was nine or 10, I remember lying on the living room floor, listening on my Walkman to a cassette tape about a guy talking about songwriting. He was a Christian artist, and on one side of the cassette tape were the songs that were on his album. But on the other side, there was a little interview where he talked about the songwriting process. And this was long before, I mean, I didn't play an instrument at this time. I sang, but again, just to annoy my brothers. But I remember rewinding that tape and listening over and over to him talk about how he would sit at the piano and think up ideas, and he would talk about songwriting. And this is before I'm a songwriter, but something inside me knew that this was important. So I was just soaking that story up even before I could play an instrument. I believe that that was part of my design. Even from a young age, before I knew what I was listening to, my spirit understood that I was a songwriter, and that was going to be important to me later on in life. The second thing I had was a sandbox. My dad knew that I was musical, and so when I was 11, he gave me his old beat-up electric guitar and got me lessons, and I started learning how to read music and, and how to play chords and all the rest of it, and I did that for years. I remember sitting with my teacher, Tom, and I would play you know, a simple folk tune like Amazing Grace or whatever, and he would play the accompanying chords. And I remember being amazed at how just two instruments could make all of that sound. Well, later, he showed me how chords worked, and then he showed me composition. He explained that you know, melodies come from chords and that there's more than one right answer for what chord might go over a melody. And so he would have me make a melody on my sheet paper. He'd have me put the chords over the top of it, and then he had me write the lyrics underneath it. And that is when the lights came on that all of my favorite things could actually come together in this thing called songwriting. Because I also loved to read. All of my brothers and my cousin, the whole family put a high importance on reading. I remember I went through in middle school this voracious reading period where I would read novels in a weekend. There was one time I read a 500-page novel in less than two days. I read all night. I read all the next day. I read all night. I just couldn't get enough of it. And it was that intake of literature and exposing myself to, to poetry and all this different stuff that, that I knew that I needed, but I didn't know why. I just was curious about it. And that was my sandbox. As I got into 
high school, I had a band and we played songs together and I wrote my own. <laughs> Looking back on it now, they weren't very good. I, I don't know how anybody who wasn't in my head would have known what that song was about. But again, I, I was just playing around and having fun enjoying music. I enjoyed playing, I enjoyed singing, I enjoyed songwriting. The next step in my process was college, and that was my bulldozer phase. And my bulldozer was my older brother. So I was at Bible college the same year I was a freshman. My brother Brandon was a senior. And there was one particular class that he helped me out with, and that was my freshman writing class. We had a professor, Miss Lee, who was an amazing woman, so professional, so classy, so intimidating, especially if you, if you didn't know what you were doing writing, because she was so good. Um, she always addressed everyone by their last name. She just had this air of, you are going to be proper and you are going to do a good job in my class because I expect it of you. And she knew the students that could write. And so she expected more out of those students and she expected me, because my older brother had, had written well in her class, she expected he probably knows what he's doing, so I'm going to expect it of him. Well, anyway, what would happen was I would bring my draft to my brother Brandon, and because I was procrastinating, I would do this the night before, and he would eviscerate my work. And he did it pretty simply. He would just read it to me. He would look at me with that look that only your older brother can give you, and he would say, is that really what you want to say? And it would just melt me. I was like, I would throw my papers. I was so mad at him in that moment because he knew that I was bluffing or that I wasn't doing my best or that I hadn't even actually formed my thoughts well enough to be able to say what I really wanted to say. So he would go through it and line by line, yep, nope, that's not really it. Nope, that's not it. I remember on one night, <clears throat> I wound up midnight the day before, well, the morning of the paper being due, and I'm just looking at this cursor on my MacBook on an empty page. I had thrown the entire thing out. For most of that year, I had to write two papers for every one paper that I had turned in. It got to the point where Miss Lee got curious and she started asking me to bring my old drafts in so she, so she could see the difference between the two. But that was how hard it was for me to write with Brandon looking over my work because he would not lie to me. He just told me like it was. He was my first editor and he showed me what writing really could be and just how awful it could be. But I needed that. I needed to know that I could do good work if I stuck it out, if I went through the pain of throwing away all of your work and starting over. Again, like I said, most of that year, I wrote two papers to every one paper. And after a while, it wasn't about the grades. It was about, can you make this better? And that's where I really, really learned what editing can do. And so I became my own editor. I became my own worst enemy when it came to the songwriting process, because I had already been writing songs by that point. But then I started really going at it with a scalpel and saying, like my brother told me, is this really what you want to say? And if it didn't make sense, if it didn't hold water, if, if the logic was wrong, if I, if I just rehashed the first verse and my second verse, I knew that, well, no, it's, it's not good enough. And so my songwriting took another step up uh, when I got to college because my writing took a step up because of my brother. 
So I had the design. I had that curiosity at an early age about songwriting. I had the sandbox during middle school and high school of just playing around with it. Then I had the bulldozer and my brother, you know, showing me that, hey, you can step this up. You can be a much better writer than you are if you're willing to, willing to put in the work. And then after college, I thought that I was going to be famous. I was a better guitar player than most people I knew, you know, um, a big fish in a little pond. And I thought, well, what I deserved was a record deal and to go um, travel around the world um, singing worship songs and being a you know itinerant worship leader and generally being famous, like I said. And then that didn't happen. And this was the one thing that I didn't have that I'm so glad now that I didn't have. Celebrity. Notoriety. After college, I led worship for my parents' house church. And when I mean house church, I mean literal, it's in a house. You know, I was leading worship in the living room. You know, we had about 20 people, uh, former students of the college that I went to. And over the years, they got married, they moved out of state, they took jobs somewhere else, et cetera, et cetera. And I watched our group get smaller and smaller as I'm writing songs and playing the guitar. I, you know, it was demoralizing. I thought, am I going to be the last one out? Am I going to have to turn the lights when I go away? Because Th- this is not this is not success. This <laughs> this is not getting better, right? Things are getting worse. Why why am do I feel so hidden? Why do I feel so isolated? And multiple times I thought to myself, well maybe the answer is somewhere else. I had three, you know, kind of my top choices of different ministries that I thought, well these are internationally known ministries, you know, um elsewhere in the country, if I could only just go there, maybe maybe that would fix my problems because, boy, am I feeling like I don't matter here. But I never pulled the trigger on it. One was I didn't have any money to move. But secondly, something in me knew that if I was to go somewhere else, that I would absolutely stuff my own voice for somebody else's vision. And I wouldn't even have to be asked to do it. Right? If you move to a big ministry, you're already going to somewhere where somebody has an established thing that's working. That's why you're attracted to it. I knew that if I went to my top choice, they have a sound, they have a crew, they have a vision for what their stuff sounds like. I knew that if I went there, I would, of my own doing, not because they asked me to, I would stuff my voice. I would, I would put that aside. I would serve the institution to the best of my ability, and I might even be repaid for it in notoriety or, you know, a bigger platform or whatever it was. I knew that I would do that. And so I didn't. Because I knew enough to know that that's not what God had for me. Um, And I prayed about it, and I I never, ever got the green light from God to actually go move somewhere else and, and be a big deal somewhere else. Just, it never happened for me. And I'm so glad now that that didn't happen because it allowed me the time in isolation to develop my own voice based upon the music that I liked, how I wanted to write, what God was showing me, how God was growing me, even though I was kicking against the bricks and really, really unhappy about it. And I felt sorry for myself for years. God was building that in me. And the way that he wanted to do it was to not have me go be famous somewhere. He wanted me to put down roots. Well, you can't see roots. And I had no external markings that anything that I was doing 
was working, right? None of, none of the things that were in my dream of like, oh yeah, you know, I'll have my own record deal and, and I'll be famous and I'll travel the world. None of that was happening. God was just saying, well, why don't you put down some roots? Why don't you, you know, keep doing what you're doing, but maybe have a better attitude and maybe have some more thankfulness and gratitude and joy in your life, but keep putting down those roots, do the stuff that nobody sees. Oh, that went on for, it seemed like forever. And there were times where I thought that I could just wait out God. Turns out that he's much more patient than I am. And um, I cracked eventually. But those roots, now I am so, so thankful for because God knew that I would need them. But the last thing that he developed in me was legitimacy. And this was the missing piece. Because I had thought that I would be legitimate when? When I am famous, when I am successful, when I'm making a lot of money, when everybody knows my name, then I'll be legitimate. And God said, what if you didn't have any of that? Would you still be legitimate? If you didn't have any of those hallmarks of success, would you be able to get your legitimacy from being my son and not from being well-known and well-liked? And that was a hard one, and that took a long, long time to learn. But what I had to learn is that God liked me the way that he made me. All of the, you know, the, the design and the sandbox and, and all of that process that I had gone through, well, that was part of God's plan. It wasn't part of his plan. That dream that I had, that college dream of, of being famous, that wasn't part of his plan. But he wanted me to still be legitimate in my identity in him and not because of all of the things that I had accomplished for myself. Like I said, that took years for me to finally own that, that I was legitimate because of God and not because of what man could give me. Well, now the funny thing is that I do not want the dream that I had in college. I'm so glad that God did not give that to me. Instead of giving me a record deal, he said, well, why don't you go learn how to make your own album, which is exactly what I did. And I'm in the middle of making another one. That process was really slow, and it, it was different than I thought it was going to be. I, you know, I thought, oh, I'll go into a studio, I'll, I'll, I'll use all the best gear and whatnot, and somebody else will pay for it, and then I'll have this amazing product. He said, no, you're going to learn to do it yourself. You're going to learn how to mix and EQ and produce and record and all that. I did not have that on my radar. I didn't even really know what that was about, and turns out that I had to learn that for myself, and that was part of the process. I used to really want to be part of a large organization, you know, to have a big platform and have a large reach. Not anymore. Now I know that God had something different in mind for me and that the new thing that he wanted me to do wouldn't have been doable in a large organization. I used to want to travel around the world worship leading because that felt big and important. Not that that doesn't sound fun anymore, but God was more interested in me sounding like the land that he planted me on sounding like I fit somewhere. That was more important than sounding like everything everywhere. And he's like, no, 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 why don't you put down roots right where you're at and stop despising where you are, because I think that's actually what I want out of you. So Paul, in answer to your question, what was that process like of, of learning how to songwrite? It involved a lot of me not getting what I wanted, because God knew what would actually fulfill me. And so he gave me that. He gave me the raw materials to develop to the point where I, I started wanting what he wanted for me and stopped wanting what I wanted for me. And now I wouldn't trade it for the world. I know now 
that I wouldn't have the writing voice that I have if I had gone to a big church, if I had been part of a big ministry. It wouldn't have happened. It would have gotten lost in the hustle and the bustle, or I would have missed when God actually wanted to change things up. Because I do believe we're in a new season, and God is unleashing new worship that absolutely needs to be released right now. And it's, it's probably not going to come from the large organizations that we all know the name of. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with those churches. It just means that what God had for me wasn't going to be there. I believe that God has people like this all over the country and all over the world, and God is going to play that card eventually. So if you are one of those worship leaders who has felt alone for a long time, like you've been slogging it out and you're not enjoying any of the markers of success, you might be exactly where God wants you. Look at the resources that you have. Look what's around you right now. What can you do with your hands and do that? rather than wishing that you were at the big name spot. Because guess what? The big name spot isn't where your destiny is. It wasn't for me. You're going to have to get your legitimacy straight from God and not from what other people say or think about you. Because if you allow that to change you, it's going to change the way you write. And that means that you're not writing what God really wants you to write. You're not really fulfilling your destiny. Fulfill your destiny. Do not chase. Don't chase notoriety. Don't chase a bigger platform. Don't chase more money. I can guarantee you that you will be happier. You will be more fulfilled if you find your fit. Hey, I hope that video helps you. I hope you're encouraged. And if you need help with your songwriting or live sound or arranging your band, go to blueprintsounds.com forward slash worship booster pack. All right. Until next week, God bless and goodbye.